Welcome to the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Each week, we tackle a different issue that's uniquely Portland. So tune in every Saturday to hear a new episode complete with interviews and editorial that helps explain our city. From Portland's leading paper comes a brand new way to engage with the news, sports, arts, and culture. Stick around. Welcome to the Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Thanks for listening to episode 19 of the show. Today is May 8th. It's great to have you with us today. We have an interview with U.S. Senator Jeff Merkley, Senator out of Oregon. But we also have a great cover story for you, uh, all about the best places to eat in Portland. So go to our website at wweek.com to find out more about that. It's really awesome. But before we get to the Merkley interview, we got to talk about the news, what's been going on this week, all the headlines, everything you got to know about in Portland and Oregon. This is the 9 Second News Flash. Well, guys, if you go to PSU, you're going to need to get the vaccine if you hope to participate in in-person classes in the fall. OSU and many other Oregon and Portland universities have stated this requirement, but University of Oregon has notably not joined the vaccine requirement bandwagon. Governor Kate Brown reopened in-person dining in 15 Oregon counties just in time for this week's cover story by Willamette Week, where our staff handpicked the 16 best places for you to eat in Portland. So get your copy of Willamette Week and enjoy the best eats in the city. In less positive news, one of our wonderful reporters, Letitia Jensen, combed through data and found that black Oregonians are imprisoned five times as much as white Oregonians. Many parents want Portland public schools to reevaluate their decision to not test students who are free of symptoms as they return to school, something that many schools around the country are doing. Not a great week for those who like breathing and hope to be doing some of that this summer as a drought and warm temperatures all around the state point to a possibility that we might be facing wildfires similar to the ones we saw last year. Former House Speaker Dave Hunt has been cited in a sting operation trying to crack down on people purchasing sex and sex trafficking. Uh, he responded to an ad placed by officers and, and is wrapped up in that sting now. The Moda Center, where the Portland Trailblazers play, was going to be one of the only arenas in the country that did not allow fans to watch professional basketball. But that changed, and Moda is now allowing up to 10% capacity. I know we're all excited to get into the arena, root for our team, and uh, hopefully we go far in the playoffs. Well, folks, that's our 90-second news flash. Enjoy the rest of the show. With that, it's time to get to our interview. We are joined this week by U.S. Senator Merkley. We talk about COVID, climate change, police reform, and so much more. Take a listen. COVID has changed a lot of all of our lives in every aspect. Is there something that COVID has changed about your life where you're like, well, maybe now when COVID's done, I'm going to keep doing it this way. Maybe it's for the better that we do things this way. Well, let's see the silver lining in all this. Uh, for me, one thing is that uh, between changing how I touch things and wearing a mask, uh, I didn't have any colds this, this past year. So, uh, nor did anybody in my family. So that's 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 one change. Yeah, uh, sick days. Yeah, is that uh, I continued uh, exercising a little more regularly. Uh, so many people in my neighborhood were out were out walking. Uh, gyms were closed and offices were closed. People were tired of being in their houses. So there's been a, a lot more uh, uh, folks on the street uh, saying hello to each other, connecting with each other. So that's kind of been a cool thing. 
Yeah. And I want to know about virtual town hall specifically. How do they compare to the in-person thing that you have been used to your whole career? Well, on the positive side, it enables everyone in a county, and some of our counties are very large, to be able to get to the site without having to drive there, worry about parking, worry about the right. weather, so on and so forth. Uh, but uh, it doesn't have the same connection, the, the same uh, feeling of community and just the, the energy that you have when you're in a room with someone. And I notice people have been a lot more polite online than they are sometimes in the actual town halls. Uh, but I don't consider that necessarily a good thing. I like well, and part of the point is get people to express their their feelings and uh, hear them. Uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to getting back in person. Yeah, very nice. We all are. Um, since like even the beginning of this country, people have debated about the importance of privacy, and it usually it comes at a cost. As people say um, Biden came out and said that he won't be enforcing a federally mandated vaccine passport uh, in favor of privacy and, and personal rights. How do you feel about that? Well, in general, I'm supportive of where the president's coming from. Uh, I worry a lot about a government that overregulates how we're able to move. I'm very concerned about facial recognition technology being used to track everywhere we are. I never loved the idea of uh, automated red light uh, tickets or speeding tickets, the people interacting with, with, with people. Uh, I also on the international side, I've been tracking very carefully the use of technology for oppression in China. And it's kind of, technology is creeping. It's like with cell phones, it's easy for the government to monitor where we are through cell phone records. And the government has a, a, a often tracked records without full disclosure and, and sometimes abused access to records. I'm worried about facial recognition. I I think if 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 passports are essential in certain settings, to, to basically keep individuals from creating a mass contagion event. Uh, but I think it should be as limited as possible. Let's shift to this. Willamette Week, we've covered a lot uh, the topic of vaccine skepticism, and there's a lot of Oregonians still skeptical of the vaccine. And let's take out the portion of, of people who are skeptical because they don't want uh, Bill Gates microchip inserted them. That's not that interesting of a conversation for me. I really want to talk to you about people who are looking at the science community and questioning some of the decisions that have made in the past uh, and whether there, there's logic behind them and using that uh, as a reason to for, for concern of why uh, they should or shouldn't get the vaccine. So what do you say to the people who are looking at this and saying, well, you know, you told us not to wear masks at first, and then he told us all masks are okay, and now only some masks are okay. And, you know, I personally, I boarded a flight and I had to, you know, they had six feet in between us and the flight, and then you all, and then you go on and you're sitting, you know, three to, uh, to a row and right next to each other. And how do you reconcile with that where, you know, and, and also enforce stability in the vaccine? Well, it's very true uh, that uh, in various settings, and as we've understood the virus better, uh, guidance has, has changed. And it shows that uh, when there's a, a new factor, it really takes a while to, to figure it out. Uh, and yet we have, we have seen that the, the core messages, which is uh, we've had for some time now, that separation is helpful, that masks are, are helpful, uh, has pretty much been the same. And, and on the vaccine side, uh, if you look back through history, 
there's always been suspicion about vaccines. Uh, vaccines kind of involved uh, in the beginning, kind of putting something harmful into you, like, like exposure to cowpox, so that you would become resistant to smallpox. Well, just the idea that you're going to take this, something that's going to make me a little bit sick. Uh, and I will, do I want that in me? Right. By the way, if everyone else does it, I don't need it because nobody's going to pass the disease on to me. So why don't I just let everybody else like, right. go through that experience? Uh, rather than uh, rather than me have to do it, or if I hear about that there is a rare reaction, which there are rare reactions, and I can get away with no risk uh, by having everybody else vaccinated, but not my children. Let me protect my children from those from those rare reactions. So it is it's inherent in that uh, that that people have a sense of hesitancy about. Um, new new styles of vaccine, new vaccines for new disease. We see it on almost everything. We saw it in polio, uh, for example. Right. And so, uh, so here we are. And it's those those fears are accentuated by by social uh, media. People want to see kind of what happened among my my friends. What's that's I trust that I trust what happened. Did my friends get the Moderna vaccine and they're they're fine and they're feeling a lot less stress because they're less at risk. Scientists have been talking about climate change for decades now, and we're, you know, it seems like we're pretty slow on, on getting the, the country and, and the world moving on, on fighting climate change. First, let, let's talk about why is it taking so long, you think, to, to get instrumental change done to reverse climate change effects? Well, one of the, the factors is uh, that the change year to year is very small. And so you see huge variations day to day. Oh, we've had a really cold day during a normal hot season. Must not be that bad, um, so forth. Yeah, we had a bad fire, but we had a fire 50 years ago that was worse. It's really hard to see the the if you're looking just year to year those those small changes. And the other thing is there's this whole industry supported uh, by fossil fuel profits, uh, basically throwing a lot of confusion out there deliberately. Let's talk about the Green New Deal. You and yourself and colleague uh, Senator Wyden have been some of the bigger supporters of the Green New Deal. And let's take out the discussion of the political back and forth over whether it's socialist or Ted Cruz and, and AOC going back and forth on Twitter. How do you think the Green New Deal will impact the lives of Oregonians? Well, I think about it like this. If you buy an old house and you find out you have a termite problem and the windows are leaky and the roof's dropping, dripping water, you go, well, I got to rebuild it. I got I to gotta take on the termites and I've got to get a new roof on this thing. And I better put in insulated windows, make this place habitable. And that's essentially what the Green New Deal is. It's saying, let's rebuild our energy economy because our energy economy has these problems. And one problem is leaking natural gas coming out of these millions of miles of natural gas pipelines. They leak methane, which is a very powerful gas in capturing heat. And over a certain period of time, it's 80 to 100 times more effective in trapping heat than carbon dioxide that we, we, we talk about. And then we look at the enormous amount of carbon dioxide that we're putting in the atmosphere uh, that's uh, uh, heating, heating up the planet. You, know, you drive a mile in a fossil fuel car, you put a pound of carbon dioxide in the air. You drive 10,000 miles a year, you put 10,000 pounds of carbon dioxide in the air. Well, how, how do we change that? Electricity, you generate it with coal or natural gas. Well, every electron generated is put in carbon dioxide in the air. 
So, oh, we've got termites, the equivalent of termites and, and, a, and a leaky roof. Let's rebuild it. And when you rebuild it, you're rebuilding it uh, by converting the way you produce electricity from natural gas and coal uh, to renewables, to solar and wind and, and uh, hydro. Uh, and then you, the way you consume energy changes. Instead of a gas-powered car, you have an electric-powered car. And at first, it's like, really, is that, is that going to work? And so, you know, back in about 2010, I said, when there are several models of electric cars, I'm going to buy one. And so by 2013, there were. And uh, so Mary and I bought a Volt, which, you know, only got 30 to 40 miles on electricity, then it converted over to gas. You could use it to travel to the coast, but you weren't going to get coastal electricity. And then um, that car had a little traffic accident, got all the airbags went off, it was totaled. <laughs> so, uh, uh, we, we bought a used Leaf, and suddenly we had a car that could go 80 to 90 miles on electricity. And um, eventually that wasn't enough distance for, for Mary's job, and we bought a Bolt that can go 200 miles on, on electricity, and you can go to the coast and, and, and back in the, in the Bolt, or, or Eugene and back uh, without recharging and recharging your garage. And boy, this technology really works. And then you find out, hey, Whereas my old gasoline-powered Escape cost me somewhere uh, north of uh, about you know 15 cents a mile to to for gas and oil and repairs, this thing's costing me about three cents a mile. Wow, that's a five you know fivefold or plus savings. Hey, this is pretty. This turns out to be a pretty good deal on a life cycle. Uh, so um, we the Green New Deal is simply saying let's rebuild our energy economy and. We have to do it quickly, boldly, because so much is at stake. We've only got one planet. Uh, if you look at the uh, the uh, history of our of our of our planet, we have been here as Homo sapiens an estimated uh, uh, two hundred thousand years. It's a you know a, it's a blink in time, but all this change we've created with with burning fossil fuels is in the last hundred and fifty years. So in just hundred and fifty years, massive change to the planet. We've got to now have an even faster end to this strategy of bringing this stored energy out of the earth and burning it. That just doesn't work. We had our moment, it was pretty exciting, and we found out we've created a major affliction. So we've got to switch to capturing the sunlight directly rather than pulling stored sunlight out of the ground in the form of fossil fuels. Another topic that Portlanders care about a lot, which is uh, police reform. Can we expect that to be something that uh, that our senators like yourself are, are working on? Well, you can expect it, and it is the case. Uh, the um, the major action in the Senate is the George Floyd Justice in Policing right. Act. And so when I hear people say there's no systemic racism, I think about some incidents I've had in life where I've gotten into arguments with police officers. And if if I had been black and gotten into those arguments, it would have been a whole different outcome. And so I'm very aware uh, that, that call it white privilege that I had to be able to argue with a police officer what they were doing. And uh, you know, in, in, in one case, uh, this uh, I had parked uh, uh, in uh, just outside of DC to go to the post office and I didn't know exactly where the post office was. So I put a, only a nickel in the meter and went down to the corner and asked somebody where the post office was. But I was a few blocks away, came back, get him in my uh, my truck 
And I was told by an officer, you knew, no, you're not going anywhere. Well, why not? Well, because you didn't put money in the meter. I said, well, yeah, I sure did. Let's walk over and look at the meter. I just, I just put money into it, you know, like one minute ago. And he said, I'm not going to look at the meter. You didn't put money in the meter and I'm going to, I'm going to write you a ticket. And I just completely unloaded on his abuse of his responsibility. Uh, just, you know, I was violating every constitutional protection that a citizen has. And he was a shameful human being. And so he's, I'm sending for backup, armed backup. So he sent for armed backup. So the armed backup comes. The, uh, and this, at this point, I'm sitting quietly in my, my, my little red pickup and thinking I better calm down. Um, and uh, the officer uh, uh, says, there's nothing I can do about you're getting this ticket uh, because you have to go to court. Uh, and I said, well, okay, there's nothing you can do, but you can listen to my story about, so this doesn't happen again. Now, I'm coming in from out of town, out of town plates. Your, your, your compatriot here decides uh, to just be absolutely unreasonable and delay me, obstruct me, uh, artificially give me a ticket. It's outrageous behavior. And he said, okay, I'll listen to your story. And uh, so he listens to my story and he says, in just a minute, he walks up the street with the other officer, he comes back, he takes the ticket off my windshield, he rips it in half, the ticket he said he could not get rid of. He says, you're free to go. If I had been in that same situation as a black American, that might've come out very differently, very differently. Uh, and um, the, uh, as I read each of these stories about interactions that end badly, I think the odds, uh, we just have to inculcate. It isn't just the laws we have to change. We have to change the whole thinking of an individual. Like every person they meet is a constituent. Every person gets treated equally. Uh, and that's a very hard thing to uh, change. And the way the brain is wired or the heart is prepared and the, we need a lot more training, a lot more changes. And when police officers violate people's civil rights, we absolutely uh, have to make sure uh, that policies change, training changes, everything we can do to, to produce a more just society. Understood. So uh, takeaway there is if you see a Nissan Leaf parked illegally, don't touch it because it, be, uh, it might be the senators. Thank you so much it's for the now time. A it's yeah, now a, a, a bolt. Yeah, a bolt. Right. <laughs> there you go. Grateful for the little things I love. Well, folks, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening to the episode 19. Come back next week for the big 2-0. I'm really excited about next week's episode. Also, make sure to pick up a cover story, uh, either online or at one of the boxes you see all around the city, unless you don't like to eat. And if that's the case, well, then, honestly, why do you live here at all? That's our show, guys. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. Includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Panganibon, as well as the entire Willamette 
Gamma Week family. Last but not least, thank you so much to Heather Witty and AmpMusic.co for the music that you hear on this podcast. For Willamette Week, I'm Hank Sanders. This has been The Dive Podcast. Thank you.